so many announcements to make really quickly. And number one is what we're doing this morning is we're changing the idea of our service. We're doing a, what we call a communion celebration. So that's going to be the whole focus of our service. And uh, what we're going to be doing is celebrating communion. And so we, we've been doing it since COVID time and beyond is we have elements like this of the juice and the crackers that we don't disseminate during the service. You pick them up at the back door. So if you want to participate in the communion service and did not grab one of these, why don't you go and get them while I make announcements so that you can participate because that'll be your opportunity to do it right now. Other things that are happening is we are going to do a junior church program this morning as part of our service. It's going to, the kids will be dismissed in the, in the course of the service. I'm going to start with a brief devotional. I haven't forgotten to dismiss the kids. We're going to dismiss them after we do a, a few songs. And uh, with that in mind, what we do have is already a nursery that's going for those who are uh, the under three. There's also a class going for the three and four-year-olds. That's already happening in the building. If you have youngsters that age that you would like to have in those ministries, step back. The usher at the back door, we're glad to give you directions where to go or show you exactly where to go. Then during the service, I'm going to say, okay, kids for junior church, you're dismissed. Go out this back door this way to meet the children's pastor. That is for sixth grade and below. And so if you have youngsters, that age group, that you want them to go to that type of uh, the junior church, they're welcome to go, and uh, you're welcome to step out and see where they're going to be at. They're going to come back for communion. So they'll be joining us. So parents, if you didn't pick up elements for the kids or you need to figure out who's getting them, you may want to do that before the kids take off so they don't grab stuff or you grab stuff. And So anyway, everybody's taken care of because those children who can't participate with communion, they're coming back to join us. Other things that are happening in ministries here around our church is today we're giving out the assignments for the adoptive missionary. So the dozens of you who signed up as families, we have these packets available. They are alphabetized right outside the office door. Please swing by, grab your packet. It has updated information about the missionary. Several have asked, can we still sign up? Absolutely, you can sign up. Okay, just fill out the card by the display and then we'll add you to one of these teams. This week for ministries, just to remind you what, you do, what we're doing, there's a woman's Bible study on Tuesday morning here at 10 o'clock. Then Wednesday night is a prayer time for all who would like to join us. Then we're doing something a little bit uh, different than what we normally do. We're doing a, just an open house type thing for anybody and everybody who wants to come. It's a supper. You bring a hot dish, a cold dish, and we'll open the doors at 545. We'll have bounce houses, games ready. The gym's going to be open. Uh, if you want to just sit and visit with people, that's fine. It's a fellowship evening just to get to know each other better. And it's open to whatever ages. So if you are planning to come to help us to set up for that accordingly with tables and drinks and utensils, sign up by the bulletin board to let us know about that. Then in the bulletin, there's all kinds of information about the ladies' conference, other ministries, Calvary Clubs is getting underway this evening, TNT is getting underway, there's a meetings involved with some of that. Look in the bulletin so you have all that information. But we are going to do our worship service. And I said we're going to do things a little bit different today. Uh, I'm not going to preach. I was waiting for the loud amen on that one. I was really waiting. But I want you to take your Bibles and start with me. And let's do our devotional at the beginning. We're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's set the stage. Even though the kids are here, this is very important for the kids to hear because they're coming back to join us for communion. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it is the section of the New Testament epistles where we are getting direction how to do a communion service. And he talks about it where he makes it very clear. We read, we read these words in chapter 11, starting with verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord 
Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, then he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in... What's your Bible read? In remembrance of me. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily or in an unworthy fashion shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And then he repeats the warning. He that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks destruction to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many are even dead. They sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Let me just point out very quickly what he's talking about when it comes to communion. We're to do it with regularity. That is, often as you would. We get to choose how often. The church, each local church can choose if they want to do weekly, monthly, yearly, whatever. That's up to them. But Jesus wants this to be done on a regular basis until he comes. He hasn't come back yet, so we're obligated to do this service. We're supposed to do it with not only regularity, but with rejoicing. The idea of communion is a celebration. It's the idea where Jesus gave thanks for what he was about to suffer, for what he was about to accomplish. So what we're doing this morning as part of our service is to give thanks. We're going to incorporate more music today to help give thanks. As well, not only with regularity and with rejoicing, this communion service, this whole thing we're doing is to be remembering Remembering Jesus Christ, not thinking about what's happening the rest of this week or this day or the plans for what you've got going, but focusing on Jesus, remembering that he has sacrificed for us. And he says, as you do this, you are recalling, you are showing that the Lord has died for us. So the elements that we use in this service, mine are down there, just the cracker and the juice. He says, these are figurative. They are representations of what I've given for you. Remember, I gave my life. I allowed my body to be brutalized. I gave my blood. I died for you. I suffered for you. So when you come, remember my sacrifice. Remember what I gave for you to have forgiveness. And then we're supposed to be doing this with reverence, respect, however you want to phrase it, not in an otherworthy fashion, not flippantly, not mechanically, not with just a ho-hum, let's just do it and get it over with. We're to have a seriousness of mind that says this is a time where I'm thinking what Christ did for me. I need to be reverential. I need to be respectful. I need to be handling myself in such a way that I am conducting this in a fashion that brings honor to Jesus Christ. Not disrupting others. Not becoming, bringing the attention to me. As singing, special, testimonies are taking place. This isn't about us drawing attention to ourselves. This is remembering Christ with respect to him. And as well when we do this, we're to have rightness. I don't know what other word to use. It's, it's an R word but the rightness with God and rightness with others. That idea that we aren't supposed to be harboring sin that caused his sacrifice. 
We're not supposed to be being hypocritical this morning. We're to be right with God. That's easily to happen where you can just pray and ask for his forgiveness. In fact, during the course of the service, we're going to give you opportunity after some of the testimonies to step aside and to talk with somebody if you aren't sure of your eternal destiny that you have been forgiven. But rightness is not just with God, it's rightness with, with each other. In the whole context of this story, he is saying that the church got together at Corinth, they would have a meal and they would close with communion. He said the people who came to the meal, they wouldn't talk to each other. The rich wouldn't talk to the poor. They had no time. They were cliquish. He said that not to be the way. So we want to make sure you're right with one another, right with God. And when we come to that part of the service, if by chance you aren't right with God or you're not right with others, then let me warn you from this text that you examine yourself you make sure that you are right with God and with others. And if you say, I, I, I can't, I've got an issue with family member or somebody, then do not participate in that portion of the service of taking the elements in an unworthy, disrespectful fashion, lest, as this passage says, you bring to yourself destruction, weakness, sick, sickness, or he says, even death. God takes this service extremely serious. And he says, if it's done wrong, I can chasten. That's why examine yourself. And if you say, as a believer, I'm right with God to the best of my ability, I'm right with others to the best of my knowledge, then rejoice, celebrate, enjoy this service as we recall what Christ has done for us. Father, I pray that you would use this service in a very special way. As we think about your sacrifice, as we think about your uh, being alive in heaven today, meeting with us in this celebration, help us to rejoice in Jesus, to be thankful for what he has done for us, to be so humbled by his sacrifice that he would be willing to go to the cross for me for my friends here. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Help us to bring glory to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start off. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah.
because of that fountain that he has given his life. There is a fountain. that would be the day right today no not any struggle with sin anymore but let's talk about God's grace let's read out loud together about his mercies to you O Lord I lift up my soul show me your ways O Lord teach me your paths lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation on you I wait all the day Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Let's sing a song about God's mercy. While the young people, sixth grade and below, take off for their junior church, let's sing about his mercies, our new
Let's all join together singing about this greatness of his mercy. And can it be that I should gain? Let's stand together as we sing to the glory of God. Pastor asked me to give testimony, and, and uh, I could do it on whatever. I want to give my testimony when I got saved. Um, nothing special, but it's special to me. Uh, before I get started, uh, 5.30 this morning, the Lord woke me up and had time praying with me. And uh, I always want to empty myself when I'm talking, teaching. I don't want to have myself come across but the Lord. So hopefully he will help me do that today. I grew up in a Catholic home. Um, my dad was an alcoholic. My mom was so self-centered that she uh, would always have her own food and not eat with us. Uh, but we were always in church. They took us to church and dropped us off, and I, had, I did everything in the Catholic church. I was able to get to a place where I actually stood at a pulpit like this and read from the book that they had laying in front of me there. I was an altar boy. Uh, I was going right along and growing in a Catholic church. But when I became a teenager, and if you want to get with me sometime, other time, I'll tell you some of the bad things I did. Uh, not really bad, but not, not good for the, the Catholic church. Uh, but I got to a point where I just, I, I didn't, it didn't make sense to me. What I was doing did not make sense to me. 
my mom and dad didn't go to church. Uh, the church posted uh, my, the giving of everybody. I, I asked questions. And when you're 16, you get confirmed in the Catholic Church. So they bring us up front, and they were asking, a, you know, telling us how this procedure was going to go. And, and then he said, well, do you have any questions? And I said, I raised my hand, and, you know, he called on me the first time. And I said, well, what, what does it mean to die? And he, he said, well, you, you, go, you go here and uh, purgatory for a little while. And I said, well, what does that mean? I said, well, what does it mean to uh, sin? I kept asking him questions, and he got really mad really fast. And he told me, just sit there and be quiet and just go through the motions of what you're supposed to do. I said, okay. Um, I grew up in a house with six kids. I was the oldest. When I turned 18, I moved out, and I got a place a little tiny apartment on the third floor, and I had to climb these spiral stairs every day. There was a guy from an open Bible church that met me in the street one day, and he wanted to talk to me, and I said, no, I'm okay, I don't, I don't need anything. And uh, I kept telling him that, I don't need anything, I don't need anything. And uh, one morning, or one evening, I was coming home from work at 11 o'clock at night, and I was climbing those spiral stairs, and he was coming down. And I looked at him, and I was just like, well, you are really persistent. I said, I mean, what could you possibly tell me that you're this dedicated to, to doing? And I said, come on. And I said, come on, I'll, I'll listen to you. And that night, he shared the gospel with me. And I'll let you know, I'm a crier. <laughs> I cry at songs. Uh, but I, I was, I, that night I completely changed. And I was, I was so excited, I could not wait to go and tell my parents. Well, that didn't go up too well. And uh, my dad finally got saved just before he died. I'm not sure about my mom before she died. Um, but my brothers and sisters heard about Jesus a lot. And I still don't, none of them have professed to get saved yet. So, but there was a verse that I started going to a Bible-believing uh, church back then. And uh, I started just... just drinking up everything. It was, I mean, I was like a sponge, and I, I just, I couldn't get enough of being in God's house or his people. And one verse uh, was presented to me, and it, it really was what I would tell everybody after, after that, was Second Corinthians 5.17. And I'm going to use my name. Therefore, Mark, if you believe in Jesus, you are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all, all things are new. And that was true. I had lost all my friends. I lost most of my family. But I was new. I wasn't the same person anymore. And it was so refreshing. And I've used that verse over the years uh, with, with teenagers. Uh, anytime that I could share, my, share the, the gospel with someone, I would use that verse. And then we started taking kids to camp at the church I was going to, and we went to a camp down in North Carolina every year. And um, they have a verse down there, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Another therefore. And uh, therefore, Mark, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, whatever you do, do all, all to the glory of God. And I'll tell you, the hardest thing, and I've taught my kids over the years, the hardest thing as a Christian to do, in my eyes, is to die to self.
We still have the sinful heart. We still have the sinful nature. And it, it likes to try to take over. And we need to stay in God's word. We need to follow God's word and let him change, keep changing our lives. I, you know, as you get older, things change in your life. As you get older as a Christian, they should get a whole lot better. A whole lot better as you, as you walk closer and closer and closer with him. Uh, I was fortunate uh, this quarter to be able to teach the teen guys, and we're looking at the Word and how, how it came about. And just that study this week that I, in preparation, amazed me how we have the Bible right here, right in our hands, and what it took to get it there, what God did to get that Bible to us. It should not be laying on our shelf. It should not be laying on a dresser. It should be used constantly. We, should, we need to get into it. I praise God uh, again for saving me 45 years ago and uh, pray that I can continue to serve and honor him and glorify him and, and point to him in everything that I do. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning and the visit at 530. And uh, I pray that all that I say all that I said was to glorify you, Lord, that I would really seek to glorify you in all that I do. In Jesus, I pray in your name. Amen.
singing of the wonders of Jesus and him returning again. Whew, I wish it was today. Uh, my name is George Ashby. Um, didn't grow up in a Christian home, at least from the earliest of ages. Uh, I had many aunts and uncles on both sides of, of, of my parents' families, and to my knowledge, none were Christians. So we knew nothing of church or Christianity or any of those things. But through a co-worker of my uncle, it was actually my dad's sister's husband, uh, through a co-worker of his, uh, witnessed to him repeatedly, similar to, to the neighbor of Mark's who continually tried to witness to him. And eventually my, my uncle had gotten saved and then my, my aunt and then the family. Um, my parents split when I was nine. I'm the oldest of three. And we lived with my dad, which is unusual for many. And we grew up in Lancaster City. Um, come summertime, there wasn't much going on in the city. Uh, my dad was known to just, as soon as he got his paycheck on Thursday and the rest of the weekend, he would just drink all the money away. And so uh, we always struggled growing up in the city with not much in the home, not much going on. So my aunt and uncle, who had just become Christians, uh, I guess took pity on us, so to speak, and they asked my dad for permission for us to go live with them for the summer months. Well, I lived in the concrete jungle of Lancaster City, and they lived in southern Lancaster County, woods surrounding three sides of the house, and what boy wouldn't want to just be outdoors all day long, and so I loved it. So we got to go down there and spend the whole summer with them. Uh, they have four kids, so got to hang out with my cousins all summer long. And this was great. And I remember twice that summer we went to a, a vacation Bible school. And so that was different, you know, something I'd never experienced before. Uh, we came back home over the summer. I went into my seventh grade year, uh, started junior high school. And it was come close to Christmas time. And... The, uh, the, the guy that was influential in my uncle coming to know Christ had invited him and then my dad in return to watch a Christian film at the church that this guy, John, was going to. Thief in the Night. Any that were around uh, that, that know the, the films from those early 70s, uh, they wanted us to go to this. So I went along with my dad and my cousin Carol went along with my uncle. And so the five of us went and watched this movie together. So... Uh, in church for the first time uh, for something like that. And that was, it was different. It was interesting. I learned some things from it, but still, you know, this wasn't interesting to me, so to speak. My dad didn't drive. My dad never chose to drive throughout his life. So living in the city, it wasn't a big deal because we got to walk everywhere. But the, the gentleman, John, who invited us to see this film, offered to come into Lancaster every day and pick up my dad and my brother and my sister and I and take us to church with him. And so, okay, this is, this is fun. So we would go to church, and I remember my brother and I would, as soon as, the, as soon as the message would start, we would slip away down to the bathroom, and we weren't mischievous. We just, we would wash our hands and, and wash our arms, and we just were trying not to have to be there for the message, because um, that wasn't the interesting part. I liked the special music and the, the singing and stuff like that, but once the message came that just, for a 12-year-old, it just wasn't interesting. But I had a Sunday school teacher uh, that liked us kids in the class. She gave me a Bible, my first Bible I ever had, and there was one day in May of 1974 uh, just finishing up seventh grade, and she asked all of the kids in the class to write down on a piece of paper 
whether we were saved or not. I'd heard the term, didn't quite fully understand it, so instead of putting yes or no, I just put down, I don't know. And I remember handing that back in. Well, the following Sunday, which was May 26th, 1974, I usually was at class a little bit early. Uh, John, the fellow that picked us up, had responsibilities, so he would take us in early. And the Sunday school teacher was early too, so she came and says, George, can I talk to you? I said, sure. So we went into the sound room, like our little sound room back there, and she opened up the Bible, and to a 12-year-old, she showed me from the Bible what it meant to be saved. She showed me that I was a sinner that needed to trust Christ as my Savior. Sounds good to me. It just... I wasn't overwhelmed by it, but I completely understood it. Yes, I, I do need to do that. So I remember in the sound room of, of the church we were going to, of praying and ask Christ to be my Savior, forgive me of all my sins. And uh, amen. exactly, amen. Uh, there, there wasn't the, you know, I didn't hear the angels rejoicing and, and I, I didn't change drastically because overall up to that point, I was a, I was a good kid. I just, I didn't get in trouble. I kept my nose clean. Um, but that next summer then, it was the second summer we went down to spend the summer with my aunt and uncle. And they had started going to this Baptist church in Lancaster. So it's like, okay, this, this should be interesting. And it was. From day one, I'm in, I'm in, I, I just finished up seventh grade. I'm going into eighth grade. And I loved this church. This was phenomenal. Um, the kids in the church I started going to church with, I didn't spend a lot of time with. We didn't really hang out. But in the youth group of this new Baptist church, it was a young church, probably about 50, 60 people, is I just jumped right in and I, I loved every minute of it. Um, and when I got, when I got home from uh, that summer back to my dad, it's like, Dad, we got we to gotta go to this church instead. Well, if you remember, my dad didn't drive. I'm only 13 years old now. So we had to find a means to get to church. So somebody in this church offered to come into Lancaster and, and pick us up and take us to church. And throughout, our, throughout my growing up years, it was always the graciousness of people that would come and give us a ride to church. And I told myself when I got my driver's license one day, I would always be willing, if you need a ride somewhere, just let me know. Um, so I'm always available if you know. <laughs> I did, I always said that though, because I was so, so gracious of those that took the time to spend with me and, 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 and give me a ride to church and things like that. But I grew up then in, in Calvary Baptist Church in Lancaster in my teen years uh, through the influence of the pastor and the, the youth pastor went off to Bible college and stuff like that. But uh, they were just, they were the greatest years of my life. Um, growing up to, to realize that God could take a coworker of my uncle, lead him to Christ, and then his family and then through that and just the love my aunt had for my brother and sister and I and taking them to live with them for the summer just to get us away from the city uh, that I got saved. Eventually, my dad and my brother and sister got saved as well. Uh, and then years down the road, my mom had, uh, had become a believer. But I'm uh, just so, th so thankful and so gracious uh, that God saw fit to save a 12-year-old. Next year will be 50 years that I've been a Christian, and it just, I'm overwhelmed by that, that God loved me that much. Uh, to save me back then. I had moved away for, uh, to Delaware for a couple years and came back one year ago today, and it was one of the better decisions I made at the, this, end, this point in my life. Uh, I missed this church so much the two years I was away, and uh, 
<laughs> unfortunately, a lot of new faces that I don't recognize, and I would love to get to know you all um, uh, as time goes by. But Pastor John, over the summer, asked me if I'd be willing to, to teach the teens again. I had been away from teaching teens for a number of years. And that's been over now, so a few weeks have gone by, but you teens keep coming up to me and saying hello. And <laughs> that means the world to me. It really does. I love working with teens, the, the, the burden God placed on my heart for teens years ago. So it's just fun serving. It's just, there's nothing better than being a Christian. So I'm so thankful that as a 12-year-old that God saw fit to save my soul. Hi, my name is Jeannie Shawd. And I came to this church in 1981. It was over in Cumberland Street that time. And as I remember, there were about 60 people in the church at that time. And I came as a visitor with my husband, Ted. Uh, his, his mother was a, a member of the church. And I remember that Sunday, Pastor Wayne was preaching. He wasn't the regular pastor at that time. His brother, Pastor David, was the senior pastor. But anyway, I know I was supposed to be in, this, in that church at, on that day. His message was on the law of the harvest. And I'm a gardener, so this meant a lot to me the way he taught it. He said, you reap what you sow. You reap exactly what you sow. So I was picturing a marigold seed. I know if I put a marigold seed in, I was going to get a marigold plant. And he also said, you reap in a different season. I knew that marigold plant had to grow up and make flowers. And he said, you reap much more than you sow. Those flowers were going to give hundreds of seeds. And I was looking at my life, and I thought, boy, I do not like at all the harvest that I see in my life at this point. I'm I would not want to share with you some of the things that were in my life at that point because they've been forgiven. But at the end of the service, I remember Pastor Wayne, he, well, first of all, he really hammered me that, that message. I mean, I, I felt about halfway through the message, I made up my mind, I am never coming back to this church again because <laughs> I just can't take this every Sunday. But Toward the end of the message, he became very encouraging, and he said, you know, you can start today to plant different seeds. <sighs> he gave the invitation, and I did not go forward because I didn't want to talk with another person. We got home that day, and I didn't even go in the house. I stopped at the picnic table, and I sat down, and I talked things over with the Lord. And I said, you know, I really need to plant some different seeds. I'm not even sure that I'm saved. I thought that I was saved. I made a profession of faith when I was about six years old, but my life did not look like I was a saved person. So I was either unsaved or I was terribly backslidden. I wasn't sure. So I prayed and I said to the Lord, if I'm not saved, Today is the day I want to be saved. And if I'm backslidden, I would plead with you for forgiveness for the things that I have done. And I would like to start a new crop and plant new seeds. So I went in and started my day, made lunch, all those things. And that afternoon, I kept thinking, I want this in black and white. I want this concrete. So I wrote Pastor Wayne a letter. 
and I thanked him for that message. And uh, then I felt, it, it just felt more concrete to me. And uh, some new seeds were planted, and uh, that was 42 years ago. And there is a totally new crop coming up today. First of all, this wonderful, wonderful church. I cannot thank God enough for this church. There are so many people here who have affected my life so enormously, starting with Pastor Wayne. But it's still happening today. Just a month ago, I was helping at a, a senior apartment service, and um, a younger man from our church preached on the answer to prayer. He preached on prayer, and he said, God always answers prayers. And I thought, well, I have some prayers that haven't been answered yet. And he said, God says yes, no, or wait. And I know that sounds simplistic, but I thought, you know, there are a lot of things maybe God is telling me to wait and just to keep on praying. And that was a good lesson for me. And there was a good lesson this morning, a young lady whose friendship I just made within the last couple of months. She came and she sat with me this morning, put her arm around me so I wouldn't be nervous. There were a couple people in here who told me, I'll pray for you this morning. This is really intimidating being in front of this many people. Now, I'm not going to bore you with 42 years of my history, but I'm going to tell you that the crop that I have coming in today is unbelievable. If you would have told me in 1981 that my life could be what it is today, I probably wouldn't have believed you. I have two sons who are saved. They have godly wives. I have five grandchildren who are saved. I have two of them that are in full-time ministry. I have a grandson who is an assistant to a pastor in Homer, Alaska, and I have a granddaughter who is a missionary pilot in Dominican Republic and Haiti. And now I have four great-grandchildren, and I am putting them on my wait list because I'm praying for them, but they're, they're not saved yet. So I have so much to be thankful for. If there's anybody here today who thinks that God can't turn a life around, believe me, I am a living example. He can turn your life around. And that crop that you plant today, if you get saved and you start living for him, it will be totally different in the future. So thank you very much. Thank you to every one of, the, of you in this church. And I want to end with my favorite Bible verse. It's 1 Samuel 12, 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he hath done for you. Thank you. Let's sing.
Patsy and I have been in the church now for about seven years, and I'd like to give my testimony. And I'd like to start by going back to my early childhood. So my earliest memories were memories of thinking about what was my purpose in life? Why did God put me here? What did, and I started questioning, is there more to life than just living out our lives and um, in routine and, and not thinking about what eternal consequences were? And in those times of questioning, I tried to read the Bible, and I really didn't understand it. My family, I grew up in a Lutheran church, uh, very similar to Mark's testimony. Uh, you know, I, they took me to Sunday school and church, and I heard Bible stories, and I heard some preaching, but none of that really applied to my life personally. And it has a lot of liturgy, reciting the same words over and over, and there was very little personal challenge, and uh, certainly no message of the gospel. But through Sunday school and catechism, I knew about the Ten Commandments, and I knew enough about the Bible to know that I was, that I'd sinned against God. And I felt guilty about that sin. I hoped that going to church and doing good things would somehow make up for that sin. But I felt like God was keeping score, and that someday I'd find out if my good deeds outweighed the bad. But I always had this nagging sense of guilt about what God would say to me when I got to heaven. You know, would I, would I make it or not? I graduated from high school, went off to college at Penn State to study electrical engineering. And there at college, my sin burden grew deeper. To be accepted by friends in the dorm room, I began to use foul language. I thought it was cool, but I knew in my heart it was wrong. I started to attend parties, uh, and I had a difficult time controlling my temper. This made me feel even more guilty. I now know that God was convicting me of my willful sin, but I didn't know how to escape his, his wrath or punishment. Who knows what the scorecard said now? To forget my sin problem, I studied hard. I got very good grades, but the guilt was still there. During the second half of my freshman year, I met another engineering student, John Shute, that wanted to study calculus with me. I agreed. For calculus, you need all the help you can get. <laughs> uh, and so John's roommate, uh, Gilbert Kingsley, was a Christian. And when Gilbert reached out to me as a friend, I immediately noticed something different about Gilbert's life. He wasn't like my other friends. He had a joy and a peace that I was searching for. 
One day Gilbert asked me about my faith and asked me if I knew I was on my way to heaven. I said I was uh, a member of Lutheran Church and I was baptized and confirmed. He showed me from the Bible that being a member of a church or being baptized doesn't get us to heaven. He showed me that the only way to have my sins completely forgiven was to ask Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior and to receive him personally into my heart. And if I did, I'd be born again into God's family and that I would go to heaven when I died. I thought about what Gilbert said and the verses he shared with me, and for the first time in my life, I realized I needed salvation that only comes through Christ, not through works. The Holy Spirit convicted me in October 1974. 74 was a good year. <laughs> I prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be my personal Lord and Savior. For the first time in my life, I felt this, the burden of sin lifted, and God began to transform my life. I started reading the Bible and memorizing scripture, and as I did, God began to speak to me through his word. He convicted me of my sin, of foul language, and gave me the power to speak without swearing or taking his name in vain. And as a clear answer to prayer, God gave me victory over my temper. I stopped going to parties and began going to a Bible-believing Baptist church. It was amazing to hear teaching from the Bible, and I loved it. I felt like God was speaking personally to me through each message that I heard. Once the rest of the guys in the dorm knew that I'd become a Christian, I was repeatedly confronted about my newfound faith and had multiple opportunities to share how Christ had transformed my life. I finally began to see that God had given me eternal purpose to share the truth of and love of God with others and to serve him with all my heart. One of my favorite verses is John 1, 12, 1, 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We become God's children, not by what family we're born into, not by our own efforts, not by having someone else save us, but only by being born of God. Since my salvation... Uh, since my salvation in college, I've been a part of good Bible-believing churches that have been instrumental in challenging me and my family to live for him, serve him, and share the gospel through our lives and our words. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, and my favorite verse is, well, where's Mark? <laughs> uh, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Old things have become new. And that word become is a present perfect verb, literally meaning becoming, are becoming new. None of us has arrived, but we press on to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's my prayer for our family, and I hope it's your prayer today as well. Uh, one of my favorite poems illustrates the transforming power of the gospel, uh, The Touch of the Master's Hand by Myra Welsh. T'was battered and scarred in the auctioneer, thought of beer, <laughs> sorry, thought scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old island, but held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folks, he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar? A dollar, then two? Only two? Two dollars? We'll make it three. Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three, but no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow and wiping the dust from the old island and tightening the loose strings, he played a melody pure and sweet as caroling angels sing. The music ceased, 
And the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what am I bid for this old violin? And he held it up with a bow. A thousand dollars, we'll make a two. Two thousand, we'll make a three. Three thousand once, three thousand twice, and going and gone, said he. The people cheered, but some of them cried, we do not quite understand. What changed its worth? Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, battered and scarred with sin, his oxen sheep to a thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once and going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd can never quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Thank you. Hi, my name is Joyce Reinheimer. I feel like a permanent fixture here. Um, Rich and I joined this church in 1979. Um, I'm a little bit nervous. I had written everything out so I would stay within my time frame, and my notes fell out of my binder somewhere. So I'm willing to wing it. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I am so blessed. My mom was the daughter of an evangelical congregational pastor and also the granddaughter of an evangelical congregational pastor. So God was an important thing in our lives. We went to church. But my first vivid memory of church is when we lived in Abilene, Texas. My dad served with the US Air Force, and we were living in Abilene, Texas. And at that time, my dad and my mom recommitted their lives to Jesus Christ, and I witnessed their baptism. And it wasn't too long after that my two older sisters also accepted Christ and were baptized. And this got my mind thinking. I started paying a little bit more attention in church. One Sunday evening while Dad was at work, Mom packed all five of us up and took us to church. Not an unusual thing. She did it all the time. But that night the pastor said something that stirred my heart. And when he gave the invitation, I knew I needed to go front and get saved. During that invitation hymn, just as I am, my feet were glued to the floor and I was gripping the back of the pew in front of me so hard that my knuckles were turning white. And I must have looked odd because my one sister leaned over and said, Joyce, what's wrong with you? Well, the song ended. I missed my chance. I didn't go front. I couldn't get saved. But the pastor said before he bowed his head to pray, if you didn't come front, you can still get saved. You can bow your head right there in the pew and follow me in this prayer of salvation, and you can accept Christ as your Savior. So while he prayed, I quietly asked the Lord into my heart, and I felt a great deal of relief, and all of a sudden, I could move again. It's very strange. My sister leaned over and said, what was wrong with you? And I said, I just asked Jesus into my heart. I wanted to go front, but I couldn't. She said, you need to tell mom. So I told my mom, and my mom was excited. And she said, you need to tell the pastor on the way out. 
So as we shook his hand, my mom said, Joyce has something to say to you. And I told him that I, I prayed during the invitation prayer and I got saved. The highlight of my life after that, it's only second to getting saved, was that I was allowed to stay up until my dad got home from work that night. And for a six-year-old, that is a really big deal. And my dad said, what are you doing up? And I said, Dad, I've got news. I got saved tonight. So he rejoiced with me. It wasn't too long afterwards. I don't remember the exact day of my salvation, but I do know that I got baptized on May 17th, which was the first Sunday after my seventh birthday. So I know I got saved in 1964. No doubt about it. During the time we were in Abilene, Dad felt called to be in the ministry, and he started taking correspondence courses from a seminary. During the remainder of his time in the uh, Air Force, we were stationed in North Dakota in Grand Forks, and my dad felt called to pastor a small church just across the border in Minnesota, and he did that until we were transferred to California. There we were involved in a really good Southern Baptist church, and I learned a lot there, uh, especially doctrine-wise. When we returned to Pennsylvania, Dad wanted to continue. Um, in 1968, Dad retired, and we moved here. My mom's mother had passed away, and she wanted to be with her dad. And uh, Dad started going part-time to the theological seminary there in Myerstown. During his time in seminary, he pastored a small country church. After he completed seminary, he pastored a, another country church in, in Richland. But Dad left the EC church because he didn't believe in infant baptism, and neither did any of us, having had experience with Southern Baptist Church. In 1974, Dad was called to minister at a church in West Lebanon, here in the city of Lebanon. And during that time, I met my husband, who was saved, but not well-grounded. We got married in 1977, and we were looking for a church. We visited many churches, never found the right one for us. One day I was getting ready for work, and two young men showed up at my door. Their last names were Burgraff, both of them. <laughs> and they talked to me about this new church that they were trying to get off the ground, and it sounded perfect. I talked to Rich um, when we connected again, because we were working opposite shifts, and a day or two later, they showed up by a door again and talked to Rich. And Rich said, we're going to that church on Sunday. You have off, right? I said, yes. So that was our start of involvement with Faith Baptist Church. We did Operation Teenager, which is a fond memory. Wayne's Games, you have to ask me about those sometimes because they're awesome. And uh, we got to spend a lot of time serving in this church. As a teen, I doubted my salvation several times, and my mom spoke to me about that and um, told me that even though I didn't have the wild testimony, Thief in the Night, you mentioned that, that was a, a good message. Um, teen Challenge was really important. You heard all these impacting testimonies of people who got out of drug addiction and things like that. And I said, I don't have a testimony like that. Maybe I'm not saved, Mom. And she said, Joyce, God saved you from going through those experiences. He kept you out of those things because he put the Holy Spirit in your life. And that brought me to finding the verse that Mark mentioned, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Ron mentioned, about um, 
that any who believe and call on his name are children of God. And so I've held that verse tight. But as many of you know, God allows trials to come into our life. And I want to just speak to a moment, a moment to you about how God brings you through trials. Because of COVID, in 2021, Rich was very ill from COVID, and he just didn't seem to recover. So I encouraged him to go to the doctor. The doctor ran tests, and they found he had terminal cancer. He was given six months to live without treatment. 12 to 18 with treatment, maybe two. We are at two and a half years, and I still have my beloved husband. It is only through the grace of God and the prayers of many here that so many things have happened in his cancer journey. Shortly after treatment, he fell and broke his hip. When they fixed it, they took all the cancer out of that hip bone. And he can walk. He got an infection in that hip, which he still battles today. But because of the treatment of intravenous IVs all summer long and the abatement of his cancer treatment, his cancer numbers dropped so drastically and his tumors shrank so drastically that the doctors were baffled and they said, this is unprecedented. And we said, no, this is God. This is God working. This is the result of the prayers of our family, of our friends, of this church. Back on the cancer drugs, he gets a break from it for a while on oral chemo, winds up in the hospital several times because of the infection, winds up in the hospital because of blood loss, only to find he has bleeding ulcers. Get off the oral cancer, go back on the, the intravenous of the cancer through his uh, treatment through his port. And it seems like we're always at doctor appointments. And there are days that I get discouraged. And Rich keeps talking about Job and how Job didn't ask God why. Job just trusted God. And sometimes I think I understand the heart of Job's wife, watching her husband go through all this. But I don't want to be like Job's wife and question God and tell her husband to give up. I want to encourage my husband to continue. God has brought Psalm 23 to me, sitting in the pew as I'm panicking about not having my notes with me. And I just want to read the fourth verse. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I would fear no evil, for thou art with me. They rod and thy staff, they comfort me. If you have walked along someone suffering from cancer, you've not experienced this valley of the shadow of death. But I know God is with me. And when I get discouraged, I cry out to him. I pray. 
and I lay my soul at his feet and ask him to lift me up. And through God's grace, I can say he is always good. He is always good. And he knows what is best for me. And before I leave this pulpit, I just want to thank you all for the cards, the calls, the visits, those that have helped me with chores around the house that I can't handle myself. Those of you that come up to me week after week and tell me that you're praying for us. You don't know. You don't know what it means to us. Please don't think your prayers are useless. God is using them every single day. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. I love you all. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. As they play through that song, let's just have quiet meditation. Thank you so very much for your grace to us. We can relate to all these stories we heard this morning. How you take different lives and you move and mold and you work. But it all starts with your bringing us to the point where we accept you as our Savior. Thank you for allowing us to have heard that gospel. For parents, grandparents, teachers, preachers, neighbors, guys on the street, gals at work, for them sharing the word. Help us to have that same compassion, compulsion to go out and to share the word with others. Thank you. Thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for giving your life for us. We are ever so grateful. Thank you for this morning where we can just reflect on your grace, your goodness in our lives and the lives of others. Give us a sweet time of fellowship as we depart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.